Many people as well, they've, they've got used to more flexibility, but also employees' wants and needs are changing. So if people can't get what they want from their current employer, they're actually voting with their feet. I'm Holly Mackay. And I'm Ishita Cabra-Davis. Welcome to our extra show where we talk about today's insights for tomorrow's challenges. Yes, whether you're an aspiring startup, a savvy small business or leading an established enterprise, we'll aim to bring you expert thinking on the big trends impacting businesses everywhere today. So let's get started. This week, we're talking about attracting and retaining talent. Why is staff turnover so high at the moment and what problems does it cause? Plus, we look at three key steps that could help you retain talent. We're joined this week by Natalie Nelson from NetWest Mentor. Natalie, welcome to the show. Hi, pleased to be here. So Natalie, retention is such a key challenge for everyone at the moment. I've never thought more about HR than I have in the last sort of six months, I think. With the possible impacts of the great resignation causing headaches, I think, everywhere for business leaders, what factors in your experience are leading to people continuing to quit their jobs at a higher rate than usual? Well, there's actually a number of interesting things happening in the labour market at the moment. So it's probably worth, if we think back to what's happened over the last two years. So firstly, you've got the impact of Brexit. And actually, many EU workers may have gone home during lockdown periods and, and some haven't come back. And we've seen a reduction in overseas workers. So I think that's point one. And it probably impacted some sectors more than others. I guess if you think back to what's happened during the pandemic, Many companies had to shut shop, um, so employees were on furlough, um, some completely full-time on furlough, some reduced to part-time hours. Um, and then all of a sudden, the economy opened again, so demand went up. Um, so that's been another interesting trend. And, and you've also seen lots of businesses move their models, so to, I guess, a more e-commerce businesses. So all this has led to a bit of a mismatch in terms of what businesses need and, and I guess, um, the talent that, that's out there in, and, and the location that the talent sits in. And many people as well, they've, they've got used to more flexibility. So a lot of people who post the, I guess, post lockdown and furlough made the decision that actually, I don't want to go back to my full time job as I was. I, I want more flexibility. It's too expensive to live in my current location. So many people have moved away. Um, and there's a lot more employees now that are willing to have people that are more flexible location-wise and hours. So if people can't get what they want from their current employer, they're actually voting with their feet. Um, so it's it's quite an interesting time with, I guess, the issues that I mentioned with supply and demand and all the, the factors that lead into that. But also employees' wants and needs are changing. And how can businesses overcome these factors to attract and retain staff, you know, with this great resignation if staff turnover keeps rising? So there's quite a number of factors that I probably bring into play here. But first of all, I guess, what's the root cause? So if you're a business owner, this can be different depending on what sector, location. So what's the root cause of, a, I guess, a, a gap in talent? And, and really, if you can understand that, then you can start to address it. The best way to start to understand that is actually ask your employees. 
So it could be people leaving exit interviews, the employees that you have currently. What is it that you value or what challenges do you have? And particularly currently in the current economic climate, even if companies do offer pay rises, you actually doesn't actually make much difference to employees because of the rising cost of living. So you need to look at the broader employee proposition. And I think one example that really comes to mind is I was talking to one of our consultants um, within Mentor and she had been working with a particular client in the care sector and they were really struggling because I can't can't afford to increase wages, I don't have enough funding, um, I'm losing people, what can I do? And, and the conversation was around, well, you know, find out what they value, what are the biggest challenges? And the, the two things were is I don't have enough time to go home and cook a meal for my family. So I'm not able to eat mm. a healthy meal with my family. I'm struggling to have the time to do simple tasks like going out and doing my food shopping. So that business said, right, you can get your food shopping delivered to work at the end of your shift. And as they had chefs on site cooking for the residents, they said, we'll also ask them to cook extra meals for you and your family to take home. And they saw actually um, a reduction in people leaving. So it's got to be really specific to your particular business. Um, But I'd say more and more, definitely think about the, I guess, the end-to-end employee value proposition. So if you can't afford to increase wages to keep up with inflation, then can you sponsor people for professional qualifications, for example, because that's really, really valuable. Do you need to look elsewhere to fill talent gaps? So some companies are starting to look at actually uh, returner schemes. So for people that might be very experienced, but have had a career break and are looking to to come back or people that might want to have a career change. So how do you support them? And I think for, for a business owner, it's sort of it's incumbent on us too to actually challenge the mindset that we have. I know I've had to kind of I've wrestled with it a bit, if I'm honest, because, you know, there was a received way of doing things. And, and my instinct after the pandemic was to say, no, we've got to go back as it was. And I've kind of now forced myself to go, actually, Holly, you're just being old fashioned. Like, why? And if you really sort of think about different roles, I think, as well, Natalie, and what they need. So rather than have a blanket one size fits all approach, if you think about some roles, I now think there are some roles which can't be done fully remotely. And it's just forcing yourself, I think, sometimes to tell yourself off a bit and saying, stop being an old fuddy-duddy. Yeah, I think that's right. And actually, there's, there's, a, there's a balance to be had. Because some people crave the social interaction. And I think with longer term working from home, that becomes more obvious. Some people are quite happy at home. You've also got to think about different roles and demands. So do people have the right technology to work from home? If not, is that something that businesses can support to make work more accessible? Um, So completely agree with that. Another key thing, though, in terms of, and this is a trend I'm starting to see, where you do have businesses that are adopting a hybrid working approach. So you have some people in the office, some remotely, um, and a a good mix. Really need to make sure that supporting line managers to manage remote teams, it can cause unconscious bias, and particularly in terms of favouring people that you see more in the office, because it can be perceived that they're more productive, but that's not the case. What could be the best way to engage with potential staff uh, in order to ensure a smooth recruitment process? So, you know, is it internal or external recruiters 
Or, um, you know, should we do social media when it comes to advertising them? Or do we go to like, you know, the more sort of, um, you know, very sort of traditional uh, job ad boards? So we've probably covered a number of things. I actually read a, a research article um, actually last week from the CIPD. And what they're seeing in terms of the most popular ways of recruiting at the moment. So number one, and this is, I think, for large companies, was their, their corporate website. I think that's where if people are attracted to the brand, they'll naturally look first. And um, number two, in terms of popularity, was uh, social and professional networking sites, so such as um, LinkedIn, which we'll all be very familiar with. Um, so that was number two. Number three was actually around um, recruitment agencies and, and consultants to help and number four and actually this is really important um was internal job adverts and actually looking to promote and develop talent from within um which i think i think is great i'd like to see that higher up the list um in terms of well i guess it depends on what your needs are and, and what your particular business is so if you're in a media or a tech company, then you'll probably want to use things like LinkedIn in your recruitment and you might want to use more technology. Um, and to be honest, that's probably what your applicants would expect. That might not work if you're in construction or care sector, for example. So if, you've got to think about, I guess, the candidates that you're attracting, where they might be looking um, what your brand is, what culture you want to share to, I guess, find the, the best route. So those, those are a few things to consider. I'm also seeing um, a lot more use of technology in the overall end-to-end recruitment mm. process. Because um, I always think you, you've got to think about the end-to-end candidate experience, particularly nowadays when a candidate can apply for your job. If they don't feel that it's a very good um, experience they can go onto an online network and, and leave you a really bad review and I've, I've seen that and some of our clients have spoken to us about that as well and um, so you've really got to think about that and how can you use technology to help so doing interviews more on um, video conferencing tools such as Teams and Zoom um, many companies are seeing now have more um, online onboarding tools to slicken up the process I mean, some are starting to use AI in recruitment. Um, I think that's got some positives and also some downsides and a risk, but that's probably a, a whole other conversation um, to get into. <laughs> but it, it's about thinking about the end-to-end experience, how it links to your brand. But we are seeing um, technology is speeding up the end-to-end recruitment process and onboarding. So I think that's that's positive. And Natalie, look, many of us have had lots of employees of all sorts of different ages. What are some of the strategies for, for business owners when thinking about multi-generational strategies for, for HR and recruitment? So you really hit the nail on the head there, Holly. So we, we are seeing multiple generations in the workforce at, at the moment. And, and actually, they'll all come from different life experiences and gener- they have different generational experience that will, I guess really influence their wants and and needs so when you're thinking about recruiting and retaining different generational groups actually consider what might work for them without you know without causing stereotypes but what might be important to a baby boomer might not be as important to somebody who is in a younger generation just starting their career um you've also got to think about things like um digital literacy so 
younger generations have been brought up nowadays with their iPhones and their iPads, and they're very used to engaging with screens and that kind of platforms. Older generations, maybe not so much. So how do you support people to embrace change too? Um, but it's just really important to consider differences in terms of what do people need to, to retain them and how are you going to track them? The other thing to think about is strategic workforce planning. So how do you plan for skills that you might be losing in the older generations that might be looking to wind down to retirement? And how do you really think about the future skills and make sure you're developing your lung, your younger employees and attracting um, talent and early careers programmes such as apprenticeships to actually build the skills that you need for the future? So I think that's really, really important. I get my um, 12-year-old daughter. She's my new social media manager because I'm not so great on TikTok. <laughs> so we had a big negotiation about how much per video. But honestly, she can do it in about like 12 seconds and it would probably take me 12 hours. So, yeah, I'm all I've, for it. <laughs> I've got our apprentices in mentor on speed dial for things like that. Um, Natalie, we're, we're, we're out of time today, but thank you so much. You know, such key issues, I think, for anyone running a business at the moment. So um, Natalie, NatWest Mentor, thank you very much for your insights today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So now on to three key steps to help you hire and retain staff. First step, get the most out of social media. Many client-side HR managers... That's a posh way of saying people who work in-house in HR. They're following the lead of recruitment agencies and finding potential candidates on social networks. I've used LinkedIn, for example. That's worked really well for me. Uh, Facebook's another example. Now, of course, the plus of these is they're free to use, big tick, but recruiters still need to follow some pointers. I think the first thing to say is be aware of what your current employees say about your business. I'm sure lots of small business do this, owners do this anyway, but Google your business. You know, what is the vibe out there? What are people saying about you? How is a new potential recruit going to see your business when they start to do their research? A second point, you know, is focus on using this as a chance to showcase your brand and your company, who you are, what you do. Uh, we recently filmed a behind the scenes video of life at Boring Money. I think there's a bit of swearing in there. I think we did decide to leave it in. Um, but it was quite a sort of funny 10 minute video. But the team are sort of in the office, a bit of banter. It really sort of showcases the feel of the company, which I think is so important. And that's that's gone down really well. And a final thing I think is, you know, just take the time to get the details right. Who's the line manager? What's the salary? Flexibility, right? That's going to be a sort of key thing someone wants to know. Um, finally, Ashita, I don't know your experience on this, but I'd say to people, be really prepared for the time it takes. If you go down the direct route, loads of benefits there. But my goodness, if you get 100, 200 CVs in to sift through, I swear by CV number four, you start to go a bit cross-eyed. It does take time. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I think that's something that I always end up doing over the weekends, because as you know, uh, as a founder, yeah. you're working seven days a week. Uh, so definitely allocate some time uh, for recruitment in particular, um, because it is something that requires your specific focus. So step two, bring employee engagement into the hiring process. 
Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, I think the hiring process should be engaging, not just for people you want to bring into the business, but for current employees as well. I mean, there are brand advocates, aren't they? And they know very well what the business is like, but who's going to gel well with the team and bringing people in? And they also might have um, a good network of people, which would be a brilliant place to start. And I think, Ashita, you've had some success, haven't you, in sort of recruiting people from your current network? Yeah, I think it's been really, uh, it's challenging, you know, when you're a small business and you don't have, you know, unlimited resources when it comes to budgets Mm -hmm. um, to spend on things like external recruiters and you don't even have an HR department for that matter. So it's actually been very useful to tap into your existing networks and even your employees or your customers' networks. Um, You know, we actually sent out an email newsletter to our over 200,000 users database to uh, advertise all our job roles. And we had yeah, some great idea. Yeah, we had some great success because, you know, these were anyway people who were flying the flag for biorotation and they wanted to become a part of our future journey. So it's kind of, you know, that those sort of networks around you that might be very um, efficient, even financially, uh, for you to sort of uh, leverage. And I think as well, if you've got that core sort of sense of purpose as a business, which you, you obviously had, and I found because we're doing more to sort of help women understand um, investments and pensions, for example, if you go out with that purpose and it sort of sparks a connection with someone, then you get more applicants than you would sort of normally because people are going, do you know what? I want to spend my time doing that. And that's the sort of company that that fires me up in the morning, makes me want to get out of bed, hopefully. <laughs> And the last step, step three, get the most from a recruiter when you do use recruiters. Oh, I've been I've been through the cycle on this, Ashita. It sort of depends, uh, you know, when you ask me about it. When we started off, I did everything myself, like literally everything myself. Um, and it just became so time consuming. And we're on quite a big growth curve. So we were 17 people three or four months ago. We're nearly 28 today. The time commitments was huge, so we used more external agencies. But then the flipping invoices started coming in. So for me now, there's a sort of balancing act between external agencies and internal ones. Um, exclusivity is a lever you can pull. You can say, "All right, I won't go to another um, recruiter. I'm just going to work with you." What does that mean? You can do on that rate, and I think just sort of keep going and be tenacious there. Um, one thing I'd say as well, learned from bitter experience, is read the T's and C's, because there are often discount periods. So if you hire someone and they don't work out for whatever reason, you know, if they leave within a certain time frame, you can get some of that sort of fee you've paid back or they'll commit to find you a replacement. Do read that because some of those time frames can be crazy short. And I think something like four to five weeks, especially if people are working remotely, mm. It's not enough time to work out if someone's going to be a good fit or not. So really read the terms and conditions. And I'd probably add to this um, in terms of my experience of working with recruiters now that I'm an employer myself. Um, I've found we've been very lucky that a lot of um, you know our, our team is, has been fans of by rotation. Uh, but the ones that we have specifically had to seek a recruiter for has been for very technical roles. Uh, and that might happen depending on the sort of um, business that you have. You know, if it's something quite tech oriented, you might realize that you need to use specific platforms to advertise your roles and specific recruitment agencies 
to place those roles because a lot of that is also based on networks and you might not belong in those networks. So that brings us to the close of um, our episode today. Thank you so much to Natalie for all her insights on talent, both hiring and retaining good people. And thank you to you, our listeners. We're here to help equip you for your business journey and we hope you found today's episode useful. And if you're looking to find out more on this topic, discover resources and information on the NatWest website. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.